Hello and welcome back to There Will Be Spoilers, 100 Films, 100 Podcasts. My name is Matt Bazell. And my name is Ethan Knight. And we've returned with AFI Top 100 List of American Films, number 13, 1977, Star Wars. Star Wars. Star Wars, A New Hope, but that title didn't come until later. We are no, technically not. watching the 77 version, although I'm certain neither you nor, nor I got to actually watch that 77 version no because uh as our listeners may or may not know the original 1977 version of star wars the unaltered version is only possible to watch if you have it on vhs or laserdisc now in the uh the the 10s somewhere around the 10s they did release the unaltered versions on DVD or maybe Blu-ray, but those versions were ripped from a Laserdisc version and were done in such a way that there's all sorts of visual artifacts and problems. So really, it's, it is almost impossible to watch the original unedited version of Star Wars because George Lucas does not like it. He has never... Uh, handed over the um, the negatives or or the whatever it you know the the film itself to the National Registry or the Library of Congress. Um, he he refuses to do so. Uh, so unless you watch some sort of internet version that's been ripped from VHS or whatever, there there is no high definition way to watch the original version of Star Wars. So with that. What version did you watch? So this time around, and I've seen many different versions, um, this time around I watched the version that is on Disney+, Plus, which is, I think at this moment, the the quote-unquote definitive version um, that uh, notoriously includes um, the epic line, McClunky. Where does that come out? <laughs> McClunky is a line that is spoken by Greedo the Bounty Hunter right before he and Han Solo shoot each other. Uh, And it has been grafted in by George Lucas, and it was apparently done uh, after... Or no, it was done just before George Lucas sold Star Wars to Disney. So Disney can't remove it. I'm sure there's legal shit. And so what happens is right before Greedo gets shot in the face, he goes, McClunky. To what end? It may, you know what, it, Matt, it makes no sense. It makes no... As you're talking about this, I remember <laughs> this hap- having happened, that people saw this on Disney Plus and said, wait, what? Why is this? And and the weirdest thing is that, like, so I, I've read some things about it because I'm fascinated by all this shit, and apparently it's... It, he, whatever he's saying is some line that other Star Wars aliens have said that means, you know, like, you're gonna die or it'll be the end of you or some bullshit like that. Um, but the way they've grafted it into this film, it really feels like they added a frame and it and it doesn't even sound like the same actor. It literally sounds like someone went, McClunky. <laughs> I mean, it's awful. It's really bad. So I watched the Blu-ray special edition version. Okay. And I assume, like myself, you've seen this film before. 
Yes, of course. I saw the first time I saw this film was in 1997. I remember going to the movie theater with my father, and this is how you know it was 1997. I went with my father and my sister, and we left the the theater itself and went into the lobby of the movie theater. And my father called my mother on a payphone to let her know we were on our way home. And I got on the phone to explain something about. Obi-Wan or something to my mom, you know, some, I was seven years old. So, you know, some seven year old could be like, you know, and I'm sure my mom was like, okay, wow. Yeah. The (laughs) nineties, but it's the, it's the payphone that just, that I, you know, is cemented in my memory. You know, I feel like I've experienced this film as a fever dream. And I say that because I've seen so many versions of this film by now. In fact, mm-hmm. I am reasonably certain that this is the first time I've seen the Blu-ray special edition because I kept thinking, well, wait, wh- why is it this way? I thought that happened mm-hmm. here, and I'm almost positive that I've seen every version of this up to yes. the Disney Plus version. I haven't seen that one. I'm I'm sure that I have seen the 77 version on a VHS from, from Blockbuster in mm-hmm. the 90s. I'm sure I have. Uh, and I know I've seen some version of that where they've inserted scenes that later were CGI'd or whatever. I mean, yeah, I'm with you. I've seen this a million times, a million ways, almost every version. Yeah, and, and I can remember watching the original VHS. That was certainly my father's, my grandfather's. Oh, yeah. And, you know, he had the Star Wars sheets, everything. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Listen, in my, in my parents' house in Illinois, there is a bucket uh not even a bucket one of those big plastic totes full of probably 25 pounds of star wars toys it's just plastic just with star wars toys i've got star wars toys in this house this is it's a problem yeah i have the original chewbacca somewhere around here as well Ooh, that's cool but we have greatly digressed oh yes if only to express something that should be quite obvious to a viewer, a listener. Star Wars is ever-present as we speak at the beginning of 2020. The ninth film in the series, right? The numbered saga Mm -hmm. has been released. Maybe we'll watch that at some point. But for now, you've almost certainly seen Star Wars, dear listener. But if you haven't, We've got a plot synopsis for you. Oh, get ready for this plot synopsis. And and I'll tell you, this is the one thing that that I think I will preface the, the rest of our conversation with. Star Wars is silly. Writing a synopsis of it is, is really silly. Um, and, you know, we live in this moment where it, it truly has become this highly politicized set of movies but at the end of the day, this is a this is a silly story. I mean, it's it's fantasy. It's fantasy in space. So just keep that in mind as I read you this synopsis. Because Star Wars is the story of Luke Skywalker, a farm boy orphan from a desert planet who is thrust into the middle of a galactic conflict between the evil empire and the rebellion who fight them. The film opens with Princess Leia's spaceship being... Uh, stalked by imperial forces 
over the planet Tatooine. It's a desert planet. Leia's ship contains stolen plans to the Death Star, which is a space station with the power to destroy an entire planet. She hides the plans in the robot R2-D2 and sends him along with this other robot, C-3PO, to Tatooine to find Obi-Wan Kenobi, a Jedi Knight and General... Darth Vader, an evil Sith Lord, captures Leia and brings her to the Death Star. Meanwhile, the robots crash land on Tatooine and are bought by Luke Skywalker's uncle. R2-D2 escapes the farm looking for Kenobi, and Luke and C-3PO go looking for him. They are attacked by sand people and saved by Kenobi. At Kenobi's house, he reveals to Luke that his father was not a navigator, but a Jedi Knight, and that the two, that, that is Obi-Wan, Kenobi, and uh, Luke's father, fought in the Clone Wars together. Kenobi explains that Luke's father was killed by Darth Vader, who had been Obi-Wan Kenobi's failed student. Obi-Wan gives Luke his father's lightsaber and implores him to join him on his mission to save Princess Leia, but Luke reluctantly refuses. Shortly after, of course, they discover that Imperial stormtroopers looking for the robots have killed Luke's aunt and uncle, and Luke agrees to join Obi-Wan. They arrange transportation with Han Solo and Chewbacca, who are two space pirates, um, but shortly after, Han is visited by bounty hunter Greedo McClunky, who reminds him that he owes a debt to gangster Jabba the Hutt. The group flees Tatooine, pursued by Imperials, but they escape. On the Death Star, Princess Leia refuses to reveal the location of the hidden rebel base. To encourage her to talk, Moff Tarkin orders the destruction of her home planet Alderaan. Leia reveals the location of the secret base, but the planet is re destroyed regardless. And of course, the location she reveals is uh, not, not true. Han, Chewie, Luke, Obi-Wan, and the robots exit hyperspace to find Alderaan destroyed and are captured by the Empire and brought on board the Death Star. They hide out in smuggling compartments and make their way onto the space station itself, um, as in order to leave, they need to shut down the tractor beam that captured their ship. While using the Death Star computers, they learn that the princess is on board, and Luke convinces Han and Chewie to mount and escape while Kenobi shuts down the tractor beam. They save the princess but are forced to flee into a trash compartment. After almost being crushed to death, the group escapes once more and heads to Han's ship. Obi-Wan Kenobi disables the beam and confronts Darth Vader. As the two battle with their lightsabers, Luke and the group uh, spy them. Uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi allows himself to be killed by Darth Vader, and the group escapes to the secret rebel base. They're followed by the Imperials, who plan to destroy the moon the rebels inhabit. Using the stolen Death Star plans that were inside R2-D2, the rebels mount an assault against the Death Star, though Han and Chewbacca leave to pay their debt to Jabba. Luke, pursued by Darth Vader, is almost unable to land the killing shot, but is saved from Darth Vader at the last moment by Han Solo, who returns to help his new friends. Encouraged by Obi-Wan Kenobi's disembodied voice to use the Force, Luke lands the shot and destroys the Death Star. The Rebels hold a ceremony to congratulate Luke, Han, and Chewbacca as the film ends. Ethan, I'm going to lay an extremely hot take on you. Okay. This is a bad movie. Ooh. Why do you say that? 
we have some shared D&D history together, you and I. Mm-hmm. And the story, as you've expressed it, which is a fair expression of the story, is very much like a bad dungeon master grasping at straws, putting yeah. down new rooms. Well, okay, so they do the prisoner thing where they pretend the giant dog man is the prisoner, and they get into the prison, and they find the princess, uh, and then they go into the garbage chute, and there's a monster in there. There's a monster in the garbage chute, and then the garbage chute starts to crush them. And then they get out of that, and then there's the old man. Uh, he dies. I don't know. And then they leave. <laughs> it's it's It reads very strangely and compound this with how incredibly oddly paced this film is. It is, it is really strangely paced. And the, the hardest part about watching this film for this podcast is that we've seen it a million times. And it's a major part of like... Not only our childhood, but like this collective childhood of of several generations of people, mm-hmm. right? Like, not only are is this important to people who were young people in the, in the late seventies, but then it's very important to people who were our age in the in the late nineteen nineties. On top of the fact that it become you know becomes this huge saga, and there are certainly kids today who are you know so th- th- this has. And on top of the whole thing, this is all hero's journey. It's yeah. very straightforwardly hero's journey. It it does almost nothing new, um, at least in terms of the narrative. Uh, it, 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 it's very, very much the same. It hits all the same major beats as something like Lord of the Rings or innumerable other fantasy films. It's Harry just set, Potter. Fa- Harry Potter, right? It's just set in space, right? Um, and so when you look at the plot on its own, without the special effects and without the uh, charismatic uh, performances by the actors and without the world building and without, you know, all of the sort of little interesting bits and pieces that are in the background and that are left, on, you know, without the certain the way it's told, it, the plot is not interesting and it, at times nonsensical. Yeah, and so all of that is to say, which I, I hardly agree with you in this, but I don't have a pivot for this film because I don't believe this film actually has a pivot, but I do have a thesis for the film. Okay. So the the thesis for this film is that this is a buddy cop movie. This is about Han and Luke's burgeoning friendship, but the movie doesn't figure that out until well after Han shows up, which he shows up 45 minutes into the film, by the way that late really that late i was looking for it and i was like man i guess i've forgotten so much of this film because i remember the opening crawl thinking oh how exciting that must have been leading up to it we get that in rogue one that movie's all right we've talked about it on this podcast on our bonus Mm -hmm. content and then you have that great opening scene there's this guy in the black cape what's he all about they're shooting there's action there's drama you're thinking man this thing is, is going great. And then we just kind of flounder around with Desert Boy, who sucks, <laughs> complains all the damn time <laughs> with his crazy old man friend and their little robots. And there's so many unnecessary scenes of these robots wandering around. And then finally get to Tatooine. Finally, Han Solo shows up. You have two scenes identically back to back. The Greedo scene, same dialogue My as the Jabba scene. Right? They talk about... It's like one of these scenes is clearly superfluous. Oh, Olivia pointed out, Han Solo literally says the exact same thing 
and Jabba and Greedo do as well. Do they really? Yes, at least in my version. Maybe they've changed that, but they are identical in at least a 10 second, 15 second chunk. And it's like, guys, come on. One of these well, was not a, supposed to be here. Well, there's a reason. I mean, one of them was added later on. I mean, right, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you're, you're right. I mean, even thinking about this, like sitting down to write the, the synopsis, the main character, Luke Skywalker, doesn't show up uh, until at least two scenes into the into no more than two. He Which probably, really, I'm fine with that because I like the idea of shit's going bad in this universe. Now let's zoom in, just like Hero's Journey style, and see this right. boy on a farm and how he's going to have to fit into this. Right, the epic right. journey. You got to start from nowhere to get somewhere, and so I'm fine with that. But the fact that one of the main characters, Han Solo, doesn't show up at all for almost half the film. Right. And I really do think of this as a, a buddy film because it very quickly, once they're on the Death Star, becomes them cracking wise with one another, mm-hmm. helping each other out. Han leaves, comes back in sort of romantic comedy fashion. They're both interested in the same girl. Luke, for more right. problematic reasons than Han. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, yeah, it, it is. This is, without a doubt, it, it, it is an ensemble film, right? Like even even the the luke and han back and forth only really works because they either have obi-wan the old man who's like rolling his eyes at these kids or princess leia who's the only sensible character in the entire film right probably galaxy as we will probably learn as the series goes on (laughs) right like she's the only one who's like these are children these are children and i'm a senator (laughs) <laughs> yeah you know. so i i was actually pretty disappointed with my own viewing of this film because obviously i have a lot of love for star wars and anyone who grows up with star wars in any generation does and i was thinking along the lines of lord of the rings another series which i have great fondness for where we learned in our top hun- top 100 as well as our bonus content episodes that that first film is actually the best of the three when both of us had thought it was two towers. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking that we might be having to hold out hope for empire. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, part of the reason this film is the way it is, has to do with, and this is, I mean, people have talked about this a million times um, in, in a million, uh, you know, modes and media, whatever. Uh, this film had a very troubled um, production, right? This this story was meant to be three films that got, you know, shoved into one, which makes a lot of sense, right? That, like, if, if, if you think about this film as three distinct acts, you you could have three films. I mean, it's very rushed. I mean, the, the final Death Star, Let's Go Attack Death Star, is like, 15 minutes 15 minutes and this is the the big the big bad awful thing like this is a this thing can destroy a planet and then this becomes a problem with the whole series of star wars right at least with the sequels that they're doing now is that how how do you top the death star how do you You do it again you do it again and then once you've done it again how do you top that well you do it again do it again and then you know what if you can't do that you got to top it one more time what do you do it you do it again there's, there seems to be a Star Wars arms race problem. A, a big problem, right? Hey, um, and speaking of Star Wars arms problems, 
the alien whose arm gets cut off in the bar by the lightsaber that bleeds and the whole thing about Lucas saying, oh, well, that's a certain thing that doesn't coagulate or it's a certain kind of thing. Right. But all these like post hoc justifications for things like that and why Luke's aunt and uncle are skeletons, why the stormtroopers have a stun function they've never used, why they're supposed to be super precise when they can't hit shit. Right. There, there are... There are. This is a film that, if you scratch the surface a little bit, it just begins to fall apart. It and especially because not only do do, the, do its this particular film's two sequels fuck everything up, right? The the other six films that surround it alter the the storyline. <laughs> in in almost incomprehensible ways right and then that's not even you know including this sort of larger universe that is built up around it right like this is a film that that maybe on its own by itself functions well and even then it's got problems but then when you add in all these other moving parts it it begins to to crumble if you don't just watch it like you're along for the ride. I might take an opposing view to that and say that this film is buoyed by the other films that surround it. And it is this gold plated lead coin that if you scratch too deep, you find it's not very pretty underneath, but it generated enough excitement that when the other ones came out, it had some momentum. And then that retroactively supports this, the fourth film in the franchise, the first one to be filmed, of course. Fair. I think we'll probably have some time to debate that as we and move forward here. <laughs> why don't we then take a chance to turn to our three questions? Surely we must. Before that, let's talk about Anchor. Okay. Okay, so first question. First question. What do we owe to this film? I mean, this this is the thing. We owe so much to this film now, this is a question also that we only ask on the on the Patreon uh, films, but this film also owes so much to so much that came before it. Mm-hmm. I mean, just the idea of it being Hero's Journey. I mean, George Lucas sits down and reads that that book. I don't remember who Joseph authors. Campbell. Yes, the the Hero's Journey. I mean, it is the Hero's Journey, right? Like it hits all the tropes. So, what do we owe to this film? I mean. We 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 owe perhaps the explicit revival of this idea of the hero's journey, um, but we also owe the used future approach to science fiction that we see in Alien, that we see in Blade Runner, that we see in so many other films that come after. Is this really a used future? I I think so. I think that this. I mean, think about the idea uh, of Tatooine, right? Basically, anything that's not on. Princess Leia's spaceship or the Death Star. Sure. We ha- we see a lot of shiny, gleaming chrome of the Empire and some of the higher rebellion, but I guess you're right. Something like Tatooine definitely does represent you's future. Right, and Han Solo's ship and all of that. I mean, everything that's not the Empire or Princess Leia's ship is 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 dingy. It's beat up, right? It It's not pretty. It's the opposite of, of the sort of Flash Gordon... Um, 
you know, science fiction universe that sort of precedes this, where things are like the Death Star. Everything is, like you said, everything's shiny, everything's chrome, everything is white, everything is pure black, right? Like, mm-hmm. that, that, this film really does do that world building by saying, like, of, of course it's, it, you know, this is truckers in space in the same way that Aliens is, or Alien, that is, is truckers in space, right? Like, Han Solo is, is a trucker, essentially, yeah, he just um, does it with illicit goods. Right. Uh, you know, Obi-Wan Kenobi lives in, like, a shitty house full of hoarding shit, you know? Uh, yeah, we, you know, Obi-Wan is a wizard. Obviously, he's a space a great wizard. tradition yeah. of wizards. We have white hat, black hat, cowboys with Princess Leia, Darth Vader, Luke Skywalker. Right. Literally in black and white. Han Solo, who is literally straddling the divide by having a white shirt and a black and vest. And a flag. Right. I mean, it, 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 is, it is so explicit. We also owe The Expanse, the space opera book series, and more popular TV show on Amazon Prime. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you're familiar with that. I'm a very big fan of the books, at least. And that is very space opera. We have got big overarching ideas and characters spanning many galaxies coming together to deal with world ending consequences. Yes. And, and I will say this, this, we, we can't talk about star Wars without talking about something like star Trek as well. Mm-hmm. Right. Where star Trek is a, is, is a franchise, right? A TV show, films, whatever, uh, that, 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 that are about, uh, science and and sort of social ideas and all these um very sort of specific things uh whereas star wars is truly when when we say space opera i mean the the closest corollary is soap opera this is a family drama as we as we see it eventually play out right Mm -hmm. uh but it it becomes a a sort of even in this it's a family drama about a, a boy who's looking for a father figure uh and 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 a family right um it, it has it doesn't star wars does not care about scientific accuracy it, you know it, in in so many ways this is fantasy but in space you literally have wizards you have swords um you have magic uh you know yeah it's science fantasy and absolutely you know to kind of answer what this film owes i think would be remiss not talking about a film that came almost a decade prior to it, but 2001 A Space Odyssey really does the big overarching idea of space, and they try to root it in more science. We've talked about all the reasons for why that is. If you haven't heard, go listen to that episode. But yes, I think people put this film so highly in their minds and so high on this list, number 13, almost in the top 10, because of its expansive and overarching nature. But I see that in 2001, and... And the way that this film hangs as a story makes it harder for me to stomach. Well, 2001 is not about good and evil. This film at the end of the day is about good and evil. Uh, and, and that's it, right? Like, and, and yeah, maybe full family. Stop. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it really is. It's about good versus evil and good wins. Uh, I mean, the the evil and, – and, and it's also this weird, weirdly American narrative in that all of the rebels – 
you know, almost all of them speak in an American accent and all of the Empire speaks in a British accent. And of course, that has a lot to do with production or whatever. But we get this very sort of American narrative of the rural farm boy who goes up against the imperial power, right? And the farm boy from the, from rural America is is good and the, you know, British imperialists from privilege are evil, right and they wear white and they wear black right and and that's it and i would like to add one more thing to our first question before we move on we can't go very far without talking about how much lucas owes to akira kurosawa oh absolutely his influence as a director as a movie maker you know i know we talked about this somewhere on the podcast but he wanted one of kurosawa's yeah yeah, uh main main actors to be vader Yes. It just didn't work out. And, of course, the R2-D2, C-3PO as characters comes from... Hidden Fortress, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So just wanted to point that out. I, of course, am an unabashed Kurosawa fan, so want everyone to know that. But we should move on to our second question. And I feel like yeah. we've already sort of answered this, but does this film hold up? Uh, you know, this is... This is- tricky to answer because we we can't watch the original 77 version and what really what really cemented this film as as you know as a blockbuster what helped it become one one of the very first you know blockbuster films is the special effects the Mm -hmm. kinds of special effects that that this film was able to do in its original form blew people's minds i mean the narrative is not that important when you can really have these shot, you know, these grand shots of planets and spaceships. And, you know, it looks like a world war two documentary, except for that they're spaceships. Right. I mean, it literally was filmed to be, you know, in that sort of style. So, so the idea of the special effects, and now of course the special effects are old hat to us. Now when we have these Marvel films with thousands of characters on screen at a time and people can do all, you know, we, I think it's easy to forget how powerful, you know, this was, this film was a vehicle for special effects in its original form. Um, And, and so we lose some of that. Not only because it's been reiterated a million ways by George Lucas, but also because the the scale has has grown uh, ad infinitum because of a movie like this. And that's fair. And I, but I'm still stuck on the fact that rewatching this, and it's been a few years since I've seen you know the original Star Wars: A New Hope, and how hard it was for me to like find my bearings in a world and a story that I thought I knew and knew well and seen had seen certainly seen so many times I think as a story it it really falls apart and and that's why you know in a week's time we'll talk about Empire because I really am very curious now to see whether or not that suffers from the same issues yeah and and you know I think that this is something that um, you know, Olivia and I have talked a lot about when I went and saw Rogue One and I went into Rogue One very, uh, you know, with, with zero expectations. I had read nothing. I had seen nothing. I thought it was going to be bad, so I didn't care. Um, and I went into that film and watched the first 30 minutes being like, I don't know what the fuck is going on. I don't know who any of these people are. I can't hear anything they're saying. They're all saying gibberish nonsense. And then it took, you know, 
it took about an hour of that film for me to be like, all right, I'm 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 in. I can I I'm with you. When I sat down with Olivia to watch Star this Star Wars, you know, Star Wars seventy seven for the first time with her, we finished it and she was like, I had the same experience you had watching Rogue One. I I don't know who the fuck these people are. I don't know what they're talking about. They're it's gibberish. And it's only it was only for her until the the trash compactor scene where she was like now I kind of get it. I can kind of I, – now I feel something for these characters, which is, you know, an hour and 30 minutes into the movie. Yeah. Because it is. I mean, if, you, if you're if you not a kid or you're not primed for this sort of thing, it's gibberish. It doesn't make sense because this isn't a movie that sits down – I mean, it's not – it does not hold your hand in a way that some of these Marvel movies do now, which I think are, are some of the closest comparisons – um, at least in, to, in today's sort of spread of films, you know, they don't tell you what Tatooine is. They don't tell you what the, you know, what the death, they don't tell you who Darth Vader is. They don't tell you how he's gotten here. Who the fuck is this old guy in charge of the Death Star? No, I mean, it's none, none of it's explained. It just, they throw you in and you figure it out or you don't. Yeah. And, and I, speaking as someone who's very primed for this kind of science fantasy, I, it kind of was very strange for me to come back to it and, and find that it wasn't as homey and familiar as I thought it was. But again, yeah. a lot of that is because of Lucas's uh, tinkering to give it a, a yes. nicer word. So let's ask our third and final question. Do we care about this film? I think we have to. I mean, and I know I say that for so many films, but, but this truly, particularly in January of 2020... Uh, when when the you know the the saga as it as it were is supposedly coming to a close and the last two Star Wars films really the last three have been these massive undertakings and have become highly politicized um, you know th- this is a film that created so many things it it creates uh the 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 modern idea of merchandising with a film right with the toys uh and all the things that go along with that um it it creates this you know decade spanning uh saga right it creates this entire idea of of an extended universe beyond films right like it and it and it does all this by cobbling and stealing all i mean it's very shakespearean in that like it steals all this shit and and presses it together and says here it is right like it paves the way for for the blockbuster it paves the way for these you know high concept um you know special effects movies i mean it 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 has so much legacy that even though this film in and of itself is maybe not the best film and and in many ways is a highly flawed film uh, what comes after it is, is sort of impossible to deny the importance. And I'm certainly of a piece with you in this, and I agree. I think that what comes from this is important, formative for me, as well as you, I'm sure, and many other people who have seen these films as young kids or maybe even adults. And that matters, right? That cultural currency matters, and this is certainly a film that we think about on the AFI as something with cultural currency and what that means. I mean, there's so many quotes that we haven't even bothered mentioning here because 
they're just so ingrained. It's like, well, of course people know that. Like, who's living under the rock that doesn't know that's right. no moon, right? Yeah, yeah. So I think we have to end with, yeah, we do care about this, but I'm still still kind of reeling a bit. And so in one week when we return with our bonus content on Patreon with Empire Strikes Back, I hope to further this conversation and see where we get. But in two weeks' time, we'll be back on the AFI Top 100, number 12 on the list, and that's 1956's The Searchers. The Searchers, a Western. But until then, I've been Matt Bazell. And I'm Ethan Knight. And there will be spoilers. I find your lack of spoilers disturbing. <laughs> oh, that's true. There Will Be Spoilers, 100 Films, 100 Podcasts was created and hosted by Matt Bazell and me, Ethan Knight. Matt Bazell produces our episodes each week. Our music was created by the strange and unusual Breakmaster Cylinder, who you can find all over the internet. Our artwork was created by Becca Knight, who can be found on Twitter at Becca the Knight, and that's Knight with a K. You can follow There Will Be Spoilers on Twitter at SpoilersCast, and you can hear more episodes on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. If you like our podcast, you can support us on Patreon for $5 a month at patreon.com slash spoilerscast. Your donation gives you access to two extra bonus episodes a month. Thank you for listening, and please tune in next week for more spoilers. Spoilers.